This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Johnson. I work at the Irish FA as a digital content producer and I support Swindon's town. So first and foremost, hello Adam, you are my hat-trick for Belfast. because <laughs> <laughs> So it's a hat-trick ball for the city of Belfast because I've spoken to yourself, I've uh, talked to Jordan Stewart, that episode hasn't gone yeah. out yet but I have talked to him and I've also talked to Paul McAreevy as well. So hat-trick yes. ball to Belfast, well done. Yes, Northern Ireland on the map, like in this, and the, the Swindon links in Northern Ireland is always a thing I'm encouraging now, so I'm enjoying that. So, Wiltshire to Northern Ireland, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, the wife. <laughs> That's why I'm in Bristol. Uh, That's why I'm in Bristol. <laughs> pretty much as blunt as that, really. Um, no, met my wife, who's from here. Um, Lived, got married over here, moved back to London for a year. Um, she wanted to come back to Northern Ireland. I saw a job at the Irish FA, applied. The English bloke got it and um, moved over and been here now nearly four years. I think that's correct, which is crazy saying that out loud. But yeah, I think that's about right. So I would say there's a fair few people that listen to this podcast that wouldn't mind getting into the industry that you're in. What was your journey to the Irish FA like? My journey was kind of, uh, did a sports journalism degree in Preston, uh, the classic sort of, you know, uni degree. I did, um, I worked at Accrington Stanley for a season, um, doing stuff there for free whilst I was a student as well. I did their match day programme, which was funny. And Accrington Stanley at the time were going through administration and all sorts. So I was kind of a student that was up close to seeing if Accrington Stanley was going to survive or not. It was a bit of a weird period of my life, but it definitely taught me a lot. Um, And then 
from uni, I worked for Perform Media in London, who are a digital media company that basically in short form kind of make content to sell to others or get hired by other people to make content for them to use if they don't have their own people to do it. Um, there's a lot more involved in it than that, but that's kind of the basis um, of what they do. Um, so from there, I was a, a, a producer, so I would sit down and either edit videos or help people put videos together or have ideas and come up with videos to make for clients. Um, and then from there, saw the job at the Irish FA um, in Belfast and uh, basically applied and got it. And uh, But also, as well as that, I've done BBC commentary for Somerset Cricket for BBC Bristol. Um, I have worked at Swindon Town on the odd occasion under Chris Tanner, done like free stuff there and work experience there in the time, uh, Daily Telegraph. So I've kind of gone around and done the voluntary stuff and now in the job now. It's kind of uh, the cliche kind of thing in journalism of get the work experience and then hopefully find a career that you can walk into, really. And what's the day-to-day like working for the IFA? It's very mixed. I mean, the difference is that obviously at a football club, you're concentrating on uh, one team or... Um, yeah pretty much one team or the reserves um you know they have separate people usually doing the women's stuff i don't know if that's the same at swindon or not but for the irish fa you know me as a team about five or six of us across communications in general and we have to run senior men's team under 21s the women's the underage groups um the excellence programs for men and women the grassroots football youth football refereeing coaching uh, club licensing all this sort of jazz you know anything that needs promoted in those aspects comes under us so we're not just uh focusing on one team or one club or that you know we're focusing on lots of different areas within football in general that makes it run um so day by day i could be getting requests to pretty much do anything you know um could be making a video in coaching which is actually quite good because in, in our in the uh, in belfast we get some great people coming over to do their coaching badges such as jonathan douglas there you go there's a swindon drop already um so yeah you get kind of uh, all sorts of things um day by day and it's a very um varied mix like at the moment most of my work at the minute is actually planning towards our first senior women's internationals i've been going with the women's team now for the last three years um to do their content we didn't have anyone before so we're trying to ramp up things like that so like i say it can be a very varied you know day-to-day either watching a game of football or doing a video about kids learning to play football it can be a real wide spectrum of things really tell me you went to the euros though yes i did yeah i did get to go to the euros which was very good that was actually um when i moved the first game nor nine game I got to go to was the game where they qualified for Euro 2016 against Greece. So I started that week. So it was kind of the perfect week to start because every time ever since it's kind of been an upward spectrum from from there. Um, I've not really looked back. So no, yes, I got to go to the Euros, which was amazing, but also devastating in the same aspect with how it ended with Gareth McCauley's own goal. Um, devastating. I still... Still, I found that very hard even at the time. It's still hard to now think about because I think that tournament um, really did help boost football here in Northern Ireland and has been very, very um, good since. And, yeah, I think the team has really built on since then. So, I mean, getting to go to the Euros was definitely up there as a highlight of mine, getting to go to the games and getting paid for it. You know, you can't really complain about that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that that tournament is, you know, 
slipping away from the memories of English fans. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we love it. I remember watching the Iceland game in the media thing, and that was, uh, yeah, that was not, I was sat there kind of sat around other journalists kind of just staring at me and I was like, head down. Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Not a good day. So it must be intensely busy during those sort of one week windows every now and again for you. Oh yeah, I mean when the um, I think we were looking at this the other day, and the scene because international fixtures are all into one block calendar. We have the senior women's under twenty ones and senior men all fall in within the same international dates. So technically, I think we have six games within eight days, um, and technically, then we have say the under twenty ones are out of the country, and the senior men's are in Northern Ireland or vice versa. So, and games may even be on the same day. Um, so you could be waiting, you know, months for a game and all of a sudden you've got two on the same day. <laughs> um, you know, it was a little bit annoying, but, you know, that's just how it goes. But, um, yeah, international weeks are busy. It's the pinnacle of what we do, though. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard, but it's obviously what we're, it's the it's the kind of cherry on top of what we do is the senior men's team and the women's team in the under-21s, you know, getting to cover that high level of football. It's kind of why you do this job, Um you know, amongst everything else, you still have those things that you really look forward to. But like you say, it is hectic. It all gets crammed into one. It'd be nice if it was spread out over the year, but that's just not how it is with club football, obviously, um, has to fall, you know, the international football has to fall in within those club dates. And that's just how it is. And finally, you've recently got into the podcast game yourself. <laughs> I have, yeah. Inspired by yourself, Rich. Um, basically, yeah, we started the Northern Ireland podcast which when you're trying to do that and amongst all your other work can be very hard so we only we do an episode every two weeks and we try to get different players personalities from the past um or even current players it's all dependent really on who we can get at what time and how even busy we even are personally ourselves um we try to fly over to england from belfast to get guests um you know we've done that with numerous players um one link would be Laurie Sanchez. There's a Swindon link there. We did a podcast with Laurie Sanchez. Um, so flew over to London to see him. Um, and it's been good fun. I mean, I think you'll find yourself. It's incredibly hard work. And I, there's so much organising that goes into just making an episode that people don't realise. But when you get the finished product, you know, it's nice to listen back to or it's nice to have. And it's you, you do enjoy it but there's a lot of legwork that goes into it. And obviously this is your chance now to tell everyone about how much effort you really do put into this. <laughs> it goes hold on. And it's squeezed over the line. Kevin Holland. I mean, you were on this <clears throat> podcast, Adam, because you are a Swindon fan. Um, what was your first game? First game was in the legendary Stratton Bank and the only time I think I've actually ever been in it as well which is uh, quite funny but it was the game where we won the what would it have been then the Division 2 title um, the amazingly entertaining nil-nil draw against Stockport County you know I remember as a kid I think I begged my mum and dad to get me a ticket to go for my birthday my birthday falls always at, like around the last game of the season so I think my mum and dad were a bit surprised that I wanted to go and watch Swindon. I don't think they really knew why. And my dad and my brother then would have been Swindon fans, but I don't think they expected me to say that. Um, went to watch them. And all the memories I have of the game is not even Swindon lifting the trophy. It's Wayne Allison smacking the bar with a header. And I just remember watching the bar pretty much for ages to shake. It's one of those weird early memories of watching Swindon. So yeah, the 
the game that drew me to what now supporting Swindon for many, many years was actually a nil-nil draw. So for any kids out there who think you have to watch a 5-0 win to support Swindon, it's not true. A nil-nil draw against Stockport County uh, sitting on the Stratton Bank will, will be enough. So your first game, 1996, just about to go into Euro 96, Swindon Town pick up a trophy, lovely summer of football, nothing can go wrong now. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I wouldn't be able to watch that Gareth Southgate penalty again. Actually, the thing from that game that I hated most was Gaza probably being that close to putting in the cross, this penalty that I think I, I think probably cried for days. I still would probably cry if I watched it again, that's why I don't watch it, so... Yeah, let's move on. What else? Do you, <laughs> what are your other early memories as a Swindon Town supporter? Oh, well, I think, like I said, the Wayne Allison hitting the bar. I mean, we're going to probably go into detail about uh, my Kevin Horlock love later, but I remember him being. I remember the day him being sold. I remember going on CFAX and going on three nine zero for the regional Great, football. Yeah. yeah, and seeing Kevin Horlock sold to Man City and just being absolutely devastated. Wondering why, you know, looking at it now, obviously you can see why Swindon sold in Man City for the money that was offered, and that's just football. But back then, I was just felt deeply portrayed. How dare they sell a player like Kevin Horlock? No money. Kevin Horlock is, you know, you know, he's priceless. You couldn't possibly sell him. So I remember that. That was a dark day. And the start, I think, one I've written down here is the start of the ninety-seven, ninety-eight season, where we were top at Christmas, I believe, or definitely up there, and. I think that's a season that is very much forgotten of how good things were going in that season. It was unreal, really. And I remember as a kid going to several games, even I think maybe in a game on a Sunday afternoon, I think Ty Gooden scored a goal into the top corner. Um, I remember having the cassette. I remember they brought out cassette of the season, but conveniently it was only the first half of the season that made it onto the tape. Um, The rest of the season got mysteriously deleted but yeah I think that season I think would be the proper first season that I really remember game by game that I could actually picture what happened. Do you have any unique memories of supporting Swindon? Pages um, so I used to be a ball boy back in the day so was my brother he was a ball boy first and then I uh, thought oh that looks like a nice gig and I think my dad probably enjoyed it because I got you know you get him for free he didn't have to pay for us to go and watch the football so that was probably quite nice for him as well. That's where I met met Paolo Di Canio before he was manager. That was something else when we played West Ham. Unique memories being told, being told by I don't know which manager it was at the time, but I remember them coming into the ball boy change room, which was only the gym. It was the gym that we used to get changed in the gym, pretty much, underneath where the away fans are now, and told to make the ball wet on purpose. So when Dave Chandler of Tranmere gets the ball, Dave is going to be like, we had we had a towel for the Swindon players, but if Dave Chandler came along, make sure you drop it in a puddle and then hand it to him. You know, that was things like that. You know, you know we were really part of the tactics. You know, people think that ball boys just watch the game. No, we're, we're just involved as the players are. Um, one of my unique memories, well, Danny Invincible, that goal against Peterborough. I say, I say that goal, I hope everyone knows what I'm on about. Obviously, they should be being on the pitch as a ball boy and just running on and not even realising I was really on the pitch, I think. I think I was on the centre spot and didn't realise. There's, there's uh, a famous <laughs> shot from behind Invincible and I think that's you behind the goal, isn't it? <laughs> it could well be. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember going absolutely crazy. Um, that was Because especially when the goal that went in before it was the Alan Reeves' own goal, if that's what we're going to call it, and he passed it back and it went in and you're like... If we're going down, if we're going down on that, that's just not happening. Um, hitting Jamie Pollock with the ball against Man City, that was a good one. Um, I went to pass him the ball back, and I thought I'd be clever by chipping it up and hit it back to him. 
um, without looking and smacked him in the face. That was quite funny. I got a lot of cheers, at least from the nation I stand at that one. Did I get told off? Oh, no, I was the immaculate ball by... No, I don't think I did get told off. I can't think of any time. Imagine players, you know, would shout at you, being like, get the ball, get the ball, get the ball. You know, and you'd be running like, you know, you know, they've got legs that are three times as long as ours. But yeah, sure, I'll run and get the ball for you. Especially when the ball's in the Stratton Bank and they're hurrying up and the ball's right up next to the clock. It's like, it's not, it's not going to happen quickly. You know, it's... You know, we're not paid on, you know, per stride. So it's not going to happen that quickly. Uh, one story I did actually remember. I remember being at the services after an away game, or maybe before it, in the queue at Burger King. And the players came in. It was around the era, era of Sam Parkin and Alan Reeves and that sort of time. And I remember players walking in. And as players walked in, you know, it'd be like Alan Reeves would walk in, noise swing the fans would go, Reeves. Parkin comes in, super Sammy Parkin. David Duke walked in, dead silence. Oh. <laughs> I felt, felt, felt sorry. I felt so sorry for him as he walked in. You, you know, you could sense off him the disappointment, even in the queue in Burger King. You could sense that he was. You know, I felt so sorry for him. I was like, oh, poor David. But you know, just was, just is what it was. You know, he couldn't compete with Sam Parker and Adam Reeves and cult hero status, and that's just how that was. He was never liked, was he, Dukey? And I always he felt, wasn't. I always felt sorry. I was only ever. I mean. People listen to this is because he was rubbish and things like that. But I always felt sorry for him, except when he got sent off at Bristol City. We won the game, <laughs> but he got two really silly yellow cards during a free yeah. kick. And I remember being absolutely livid because it was just tense because we hadn't beaten Bristol City for years. And I was just yeah. so desperate for us to win that. And I remember him getting that silly second red for not, you know, going back on the... Uh, um, for the wall yes. and in walking and I was just like if we if we concede I'm just you know I'm going to send him a very angry letter or something but um, he mm. didn't and I forgave him but we <laughs> we, we were not uh, we were not uh, very kind to uh, quite a few of the players from that era but some probably with justification but some uh, absolutely uh, not no Juki I felt sorry when his chant they remember them singing the town in if Juki can play for Scotland so can I which I thought was a very harsh um... and he didn't play for Scotland <laughs> no but I remember that being the chant and I was like why are we singing this but, but, but we are okay yeah. you know you, you just kind of join in and then you realise why am I why am I singing this like why, why are we doing and now I think he uh, I remember him scoring at the town end in that sense of everyone then you know like because everyone kind of underrated him in that sense that when he then scored everyone thought it was the greatest thing ever do you know what I mean? So when he did score, everyone went crazy about it because Juki had scored. <laughs> so rather than being like, oh, no, he scored. That means he's going to play. It was, no, this is excellent. David Duke has scored. <laughs> <laughs> Any other sort of games from your time support Swindon? They don't have to be promotion, relegation seasons, but any other games and happy moments supporting Swindon that stand out for you? I think the one, the one that I've gone most crazy at was definitely a Charlton away game in the playoffs. Not even when Stephen Darby scored the penalty, but because when Stephen Darby scored the penalty, I stood still for about five seconds, kind of pinching myself. Because you have to think of, I know obviously we had made um, the playoff semi-finals before against Brighton before that, but this was the first time that as a Swindon fan of my age we had ever made Wembley. I think I'm right in saying that, and so mm. I remember that goal going in and being like, "Oh my word, we're actually going to go to Wembley," and that was unreal do you know what I mean that was really something that really hit home you know from all those years of watching Swindon pretty much either be relegated or be in administration you know and thinking oh there's not much joy in this is there really um and then Danny Ward scoring that goal against Charlton especially when we thought that was over you know David Lucas gets injured early and 
not that we had anything against Phil Smith, but it was just that sort of, oh, this is just all going to go downhill. And then the own goal and the ferry on the line, you're like, oh, this is just, everything's just lined up to be in, this is a Swindon Town evening. And then Danny Ward scores and just the whole game changes and Derby scores the penalty. And unreal. Um, another favourite, another favourite is very random, probably has to be Bristol City away with a Darius Henderson double. It's the Duke sending off. That's yes. the Duke sending off game, yeah. Exactly. That for me was mm. Darius Henderson. Therefore, we should have, you know, should have a statue or something just for that game, just because it brought. I remember at the time just thinking, "Oh, please, just beat Bristol City. Just please, just want a win against Bristol City." <laughs> and, and Henderson had signed on loan, I think, even yeah. the day before or something. He was, you know, it's like it's, I think it's maybe one of his first games. Mm. Um, and him scoring twice, and then Ashton Gate then had the seats that had no back on them, and I remember being at the back and ending up at the front and I was like, oh, have I, I don't know how I've done this um, and then realised the seats have got no back so I think I've physically just either ran through people or been pushed through people and not realised <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's what you know, supporting a team like Swindon's like when you get those even little wins that seem it away at Bristol City it means everything because you get to enjoy an away day win and that's the same goes with Leeds United away as well the 3-0 mm. I don't think I've seen a Swindon Town team do something like that to a team the scale of Leeds United I don't think I've ever I had ever seen that at that time we made it look almost easy in the second half with that goal with all the passes that finished off by Austin I think it is and Billy Painter's strike from distance just unreal I think and I remember at halftime during that game, Ian Longdon had found me in the crowd and interviewed me for BBC Wiltshire <laughs> and him being like, what do you think? I'm like, I, I don't really know. I, I just hope we win. <laughs> just please. <don't." laughs> so I didn't really know how to articulate what I was watching into words. Probably probably if I listened to that back, it would be absolutely dreadful. But um, that day, I think those and I think the thing is you find is that all those are away days. Yeah. And I think I enjoyed that so much more than the home games. I loved going to away games because even if you got a point, you felt like king of the world. You felt like you had a good day, even with an away point. But with a win, it was something special. You know what I mean? Coming all, you know, you got the long trip back on the old, uh, you know, Swindon Town supporters coach on the Barnes coaches. You know, sometimes you get on the bus and it'd be miserable for about three hours. But on those games, at least everyone was chatting and having a good time. <laughs> I, th I completely agree. I think the routine of home games mean a lot of memories merge into one, don't they? And when, yeah. when you go away, there are standout moments. I mean, if I was asked that same question, that Bristol City game um, would stand out for me because it's the first game that me and my now wife went to as a couple. She was in the home end. I was in the away end. Um, it's a shame I... that president didn't really stay. Did it? The <laughs> no, whole, exactly. like, you know, being like you support the wrong team it's no, like ah oh, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i'm going through the fight of making sure my daughter's allegiances are very much in the swindon camp so far i'm winning that battle but only just um but that that day it was a boiling day but the way the old ashton gate stand was it was freezing under that low yeah. roof so i just remember sort of like bacon on the way there and it's just been absolutely freezing during during the game until it all started to sort of um, getting going because um, Henderson's scoring his brace. One of the biggest sort of go down this road or this round moments with Swindon was not signing Henderson permanently. And um, yeah. and I remember after the game, it's one of the last times I ever wore Swindon colours away from home because after the game there were like police horses um, mm. and most of us were just... But I was looking at my phone sort of texting... Um, 
my my wife to see where she was and I looked up and I had strayed away from the Swindon fans so I'm there in my blue 2005 no 2004-5 away kit with the grey side trim and um, firstly this little guy must have been about 21 but he was about 5 foot 5 and he went right up to me and he was just saying in that really thick Bristolian accent sing it to my face Sing to my face, and I, I didn't know whether just to start singing any song, um, and then he walked off, and then I was sort of like, right, I'm going to go back towards the the Swindon fans now, and then this old man who must have been in his eighties, flat cap and all, swung his walking stick at me, and I was just like, Do you know wow. what, this is crazy, and then afterwards I went and watched dodgeball and had a great time. <laughs> What a day. What a day. And those are days that you can't get at the Premier League clubs, you see. You can't get them in the (laughs) Premier League. (laughs) Let's talk about rivalries because I'm from West Wiltshire. So I I raised uh, predominantly, when I've been in the county, I was raised predominantly in in Westbury. And Mm -hmm. in that area, you know, Bristol Rovers and Bristol City are geographically as the crow flies, closer. So there's a lot more Bristol City and Bristol Rovers fans um, around my area. So in my in my upbringing, Bristol City and Rovers are the bigger rivals. And of course, there's Reading and there's Oxford. Which one applies to you? I grew up in uh, Cowan, so that would be North Wiltshire. Um, but Bristol City, to me, was always the one that we had to beat. I remember that being even instilled, I think, from my mum and dad. <laughs> My mum just couldn't stand Bristol City, so that used to live on uh, into uh, our childhood as well. And I think it was more the fact Bristol City. I knew people who lived in Wiltshire who support Bristol City, and I used to be like, "Why? Why do you support Bristol City? It's not even in this county. Like, it's not even your nearest club." I always had this thing of, "Why do you not just support your local team? Why do you support them lot down there?" And they're like, "Well, because I do." And I'm like, "Right, whatever." Um, I didn't really get why you would want to support a team that was further away from where you live, but it wasn't any better at the time. Obviously, now it's a different story, but at the time, you know, we're in the same leagues quite a lot. And, um, yeah, I never really got to Bristol City for me, definitely. I, I would describe Oxford as almost like the annoying younger brother, that when we did when we did meet, they always got the upper hand. But ultimately, when you left and they won a game, you'd be like, well, we're still like a league above you, so don't really care. You know, it's all right. Um, I can deal with this. Like I remember going to the Oxford game that was shown on TV in the FA Cup, and I remember going to that. And Oxford, you know, we lost obviously, and Sam Ann was up front, and Danny Vincent that time. And I remember, you know, Oxford winning them lot going nuts and crazy and gloating. And I was like, yeah, but you're still like a division below. You've won one game. I'm actually okay with with this but now it's obviously the other way around which makes it a bit awkward and Bristol City so it's like kind of at the moment thinking of the rivals actually makes me rather dejected but I mean and especially when like our record against Oxford is terrible our record against City actually hasn't been too bad I think in the times that I've gone to watch them like you know the Reeves goal at Ashton Gate and then you've got I remember as a kid going to watch Swindon Bristol City at Ashton Gate and we were 3-0 up in nine minutes or something ridiculous I remember my mum like throwing me over her shoulder I've never seen her go so mental at a game of football um, but I remember that and then Darren Bullock got sent off and someone else got sent off we ended up with nine men they scored twice and we won 3-2 and it was the most nervous time I've never felt so nervous in my life I don't think like because of how just because Bristol City was the team I just desperately needed to beat for gloating reasons and just to make it feel like, no, you lot, you lot nearby should support Swindon Town, not them lot. 
but obviously now I can't say that. But then I could. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for my generation, I'm slightly older than you. I think th- my friends who supported Bristol City, their dad supported Bristol City because of their success in the seventies, and mm. they've inherited it. Which you know, back then I, w- I was kind of like, you need to support your county club. There's, there's boundaries. Yeah. There's rules. Now I could get, <laughs> now I could give a damn. To be honest, I really, yeah. I really couldn't care less either way. I'd rather, I'd rather just support who the hell you want. Come to Swindon if you want, put some money through, but but support whoever. I think because Bristol City are a bigger club than Swindon. I've, I've got no yeah. problem saying that historically in our head to head, they are better than Swindon. They haven't got the big silverware or the bigger silverware that we have. We had that one game. They've got a couple of uh, or a few checker trades and the equivalents. There's just something, and at the moment. It's horrible watching, living in the city, watching them grow, and they will become a Premier League team at some point. They will. That, that's, that's just there. Yeah. That, that's that's gonna the happen. hard thing. I can't think of that day. I mean, it was it's good. Just, it was. Oh, it was good. Can. It was good when Dean Windass scored that winner in yeah. the playoff final. I watched that with a load of Bristol City fans and just went mental. That was just. Ben. That ben was Wills, such a good day. Ben Will spends most weeks sort of reassuring me that Bristol City will will lose games and not go up. He spends <laughs> like he'll message me going, Rich, don't worry. They always drop off, but as the years go by, their infrastructure, everything, but they do. They are so little man syndrome, aren't they? They've just got this sort of angst about them that, that yes. they, they, they forget that really they haven't got that impressive history as they might think. But it's a huge city and their time is coming and I hate it. I think that's the thing they think of is the size of Bristol. Mm. And, the, 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 and they've always thought, they, they've always had that feeling of, a Premier League club in waiting and it's always been a little bit like oh no but it won't happen but now you're thinking it's going to happen sooner or later isn't it yeah. I think that's just how it is and we'll just have to concentrate on ourselves again rather than worry about them yeah. a lot let's focus on beating Oxford at least once um, at some point yeah. instead that'd be nice <laughs> I'd, I'd like to go to you know the Kassam Stadium and leave happy would be nice wouldn't that be something uh, just ending the, just ending it just ending the the fact that that Oxford fans, I'm not hugely tribal anymore, to be honest. I, I suffer envy, I suffer irritants, but I, I still sleep at night. And the moment they claimed the penalty shootout is, is a part of their seven, yeah. that, that, that made me think, now it is a draw, it counts as a draw. Um, and therefore it's seven unbeaten against Swindon. But the fact that they so proudly include that, that's when I met, that's when I start thinking to myself, this is a bit farcical. They 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 have spent decades losing to Swindon. This this will I'll let them have this decade. One day that it will end. And now we're the underdog against them if we played each other in the Checker Trade or the League Cup. I think Wellens. Come on, son. I think Wellens will do it. I I think um, like you say about them taking the Checker Trade trophy win. I mean, we all know from getting even to the final and losing that you know. When we lost, everyone was like, man, it's a checker trade trophy. When it was nice, you know, we pretended before kickoff that it was a trophy we really wanted to win. Mm-hmm. Well, after we actually got to the final, then we thought it was a serious trophy. And then when we lost, it was like, actually, it's okay. You can have that. Don't, we'll be all right. You know, don't worry too much. But um, yeah, I mean, just a win against Oxford. I mean, I've been to, what, Oxford game? I'm trying to think of the game. The Canio early in his era with Leon Clark skied mm-hmm. one over the town end. I remember that. And, that was just a day where we should have absolutely we should have battered them that day and just didn't and they won and it was just like right well this is just not meant to be I'm not I don't know if I've I'm trying to think if I've actually been to a game where Swindon have beaten Oxford I think I've been to all the games where Oxford have beaten Swindon I think that's my issue so 
I'm hope this I you know I travelled home I think from Northern Ireland to actually come to a Swindon Oxford game. I'm not doing that again. Um, <laughs> just to just to do my bit, you know, secretly in the distance. I know a Swindon beat Oxford. I wasn't there. I've done my bit, but I, I won't take any praise for it. You know. Robinson thrashing this one across and cleared only to Mark Walters. Can he make room for the shot? Blocked, but there's Horner! A brilliantly driven in equaliser from Kevin Horner! Right, let us talk about your 11. Now, you haven't gone for your favourite players. You've gone for an no. underrated 11, which I love. Why have you done that? Um... Basically, one, I think uh, we don't need to hear all the same player names again. And I think it gives us a chance to talk about someone different. Um, but also because I think, you know, it's interesting talking about players that we've kind of forgotten about. And maybe as you'll go through this, you'll learn we haven't forgotten about them. But maybe just haven't appreciated them because there's always, there's been someone who we always go, oh, we, we idolise them in front of them. And it's like, well, no, actually he did. He was good as well. And I think it's made it actually quite interesting for me going back through all the seasons, picking out players. And I have to caveat this by saying, I know we're going to get to the end of this. Like I imagine everyone who's done this gets to the end and goes, oh, why did I not put him in? I look like an idiot because I've put him in instead of him. But yeah, this is just from some research. Uh, and hopefully it's a team that I don't know if it would really work on a pitch, <laughs> but you know, it would be very left open at the back before we get going though we're gonna we're gonna start with an honorable mention so most i think all the guests sort of reel off a few players that didn't quite make the squad you've got one and that's the king himself mr kevin horlock i uh hero i don't know if you can say legend amongst men he is he was the man when i was a kid and i couldn't i wanted to include him in my 11 just because he's kevin horlock but when i'm doing underrated 11 I couldn't claim for him to be underrated because he's the greatest of all time. So, I mean, I, I couldn't. I have to. He has to be an honourable mention. I couldn't put him in an underrated eleven. Kevin Horlock was just the man when I was a kid, and that's just it's just the timing of when I was a kid when I watched how good he was. He played on the left of midfield, which was my position as a kid. Um, he had the you know Horlock eleven, you know my number as well, and it was just all kind of. And he was just that good. I think he was just a brilliant player and. He just can't say anything else, really. And also a nice guy. I've spoken to him and he follows me on Twitter. So, and he wished me, actually, congratulations on the birth of my second child. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, when I got that message, you know, I fainted and woke back up again a few days later. You know, it's things like that. And Kevin Horlock's just, it's just one of those players that, you know, everyone, I think, when they started supporting Sweden, have their player that they gravitated to. And Kevin Horlock was mine just for all those reasons. Tried and I am trying so hard to get Kevin on the podcast. Um, we, oh, we are, I'll, we are I'll very, we are very, very close. Putting the hurdle is Skype. Nothing more. Uh, I've been in regular touch with Kevin. Put in a good word for me because oh, he is an absolute hero of mine as well. I mean, what I love about Kevin Horlock is before ninety five, ninety six, which is the season. Your first game is at the end of that, so you missed when Kevin yes. Horlock just exploded onto the scene but he'd already played mm. 90 times for Swindon in the top two divisions but I... he really came into it so he found his position I guess under Steve McMahon if we're going to give him credit he really did or maybe it was the third tier I don't know but oh he just turned into like a what felt like a world beater um well he had that game against um Bristol South Rovers. Bristol Rovers goals and then the Southampton, yeah, Southampton. So it's all those sorts of moments. I think I remember seeing, and 
I'm hoping that any Swindon fan listens to this has the season in review video from that season. It's the greatest piece of video work you'll ever see. The season review of that Division Two title win. I, I, do you have it, Rich? Do you, I have you seen have it, it yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could almost reel it off word for word. I think now it was, <laughs> I watched it. I watched it way too much as a kid. It was, but that for me was my first season. I remember at the time being so excited that we won the title that season. Everyone else was kind of being a bit like. I, you know, that's good. But as a kid, I didn't, I didn't even realise we'd been in the Premier League. I didn't know. Well, <laughs> I didn't. That didn't come into my mind. I just thought, oh, this is great. We've won a title. I don't know what title it is, but that's class. I mean, that, that's that's what's crazy because I mean, I started before the Premier League, and what what children from that time? Because I was a kid then. I was in my early teens when we when we um, won the old Division Two, and. When success on pitch equals happy times, and I couldn't understand why the adults were unhappy, and <laughs> and I, I just couldn't get it into my head that you know it wasn't because stuff behind the scenes was beginning to you know people weren't warming to Steve McMahon, um, Swindon perennially having issues in the boardroom. We we got we'd won a cup, we'd won the league, and yet there was still disdain and I just couldn't understand I understand it now um, but I 95-96 is one of my all-time favourite seasons because Aye. because especially and we'll talk about it during year 11 so I'm not going to give anything away but there's there's a, there's a period between August and December where things are just oh they're magnificent um, so there you go everyone Kevin Horlock we love you yeah get him on the podcast for me please yeah okay <laughs> okay so next we're going to just reel through the subs with a little with a little bit of a summary so your goalkeeper your sub goalie is bart grimmick yes so bart was i think he was a great goalkeeper at the time he, he did have the odd mistake in him but i think he was a great shot stopper um played numerous times for swindon as well and was during those years where swindon you know was a bit not the best time to be following or supporting, but I, I always thought of him as a good goalkeeper, you know, and I think he's just a player that was solid at the time that he was a goalkeeper in. I think that's the thing. It wasn't an easy time probably to be Bart Greenick. Yeah, that is red hot analysis. My notes say cool name, <laughs> floppy hair. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's to be fair, to make those saves with that hair is actually how I didn't get in his way is beyond me. Um, so yeah, actually I've given that credit as well. <laughs> I mean, that's the sort of analysis I bring to the table. Your next, we'll go with the defenders next. First up, Andy, Nico, Nicholas. Yes, I mean, he obviously at the time wasn't, and I think this is the thing I said to you is that players in this list won't always be underrated in terms of well when he was playing he was rated obviously Andy Nicholas was at the time he was a great left back but in time we've kind of obviously probably forgotten about him with others coming through or um, just the annals of history being forgotten but I think Andy Nicholas was a great player um, very attacking fullback um, from what I remember um, signed from Liverpool didn't he on a free transfer I think so I mean he came with pedigree I remember at the time and people being excited about that and he was a solid player in that time and I think when you look at other left backs the one I've picked is purely out of just memories I think rather than talent to be, <laughs> to be honest but Andy Nicholas was I think would easily be in the the 11 if it wasn't just for the timing of when the other person in the, who is going to be left back was playing I think he was I think he was timed to be quicker than Michael Owen during his during his Liverpool days I, I have a vague memory of that but <laughs> <laughs> Injuries played their part with with Nico, but he was very reliable during the uh, two thousand six seven promotion season, if I remember. Mm -hmm. Aye, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. He was a reliable player. 
definitely at the time. And story I remember about Andy Nicholas when I went to Stockport away, he was once stood behind me in the queue in the uh, for food at halftime. Um, I don't know if he actually bought anything because obviously I bought my burger and walked on. But I mean, I remember just turning around and looking at my mate and going, "Andy Nicholas has just stood behind us in the burger queue." <laughs> I, I don't I don't know why. Um, he was on the bench. Oh, he wasn't starting eleven. He was on the bench, or maybe he was injured. I don't know. But I was just seen like, just oh, Sandy Nicholas, right? Having a burger. Okay. Sometimes you just want a dirty burger. I think my um, I'm pretty sure after the Bristol Rovers away game where Ricky Lambert scored, uh, we yeah. lost one nil. We sh- if we would have drawn or won, we would have got promoted, and we had to wait a week later. But I'm pretty sure on my way down Gloucester Road, I was crossing the road, and this sort of small but very fast car almost knocked me over and I swear to this day that Andy Nicholas was in the car not driving but I swear to this day that he just you know the game had finished he just quickly got dressed and he was out with his mates or something swear blind um your other defender on the bench is friend of the pod Matt Hayward I he was very good on the podcast I have to say as well um Matt Hayward yeah he's a great defender I mean I remember at the time I think people kind of begrudged him a bit um, for the hoofing. I think uh, he was definitely a defender that loved a hoof. And I remember that being a common theme in the town end. Whenever he got the ball, it was just hoof, and then he would launch it. And But that was the type of football at the time. Um, but you can't say he wasn't an effective um, defender. And like you say, he was came across very well in the podcast, and I thought they were fascinating interviews um, with him and the kind of insights into the time there that he was uh, playing. But also... He was the ever-reliable um, man to be thrown up front by Andy King, which made completely no sense because the problem was that Sam Parkin would flick it on to Hayward. It's not that meant to be that way round. That used to drive me absolutely insane. You know, Parkin would flick it on, there's Hayward running towards the town end with all the time in the world, and he skies it into the car park. You're like, no, it's meant to be the other way round. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be uh, infuriating, but I used to love it. Andy King, you know, be like waiting for Haywood to come up front and be like, oh, no, here he comes. No, he <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do think that, especially sort of first spell, that Haywood being a disciple of King was detrimental, even though we look back more and more fondly as the years go by on King, and we might talk about that later. But I, I always get like duke in a way that, you know, people again will just say no, it's because they were rubbish. Um but I do think those sort of they were in the team every week, win, lose or draw, or lose, 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 draw and win. Mm. He was one of those. But I, I I liked Matt Haywood and I was really, really yeah. upset at the time when he went to Bristol City. Um Oh but, yeah. That was, it was him and Grant Smith, was yeah. it? At the same time. Yeah, I remember that and being like, I can't believe this. But um anyone, that just shows you doesn't anyone else um it's then it's a link to that club again for your midfield um and another i would say disciple of king it's matt hewlett yeah i mean matt hewlett i imagine there's a lot of people right now groaning um and if they are i'm really sorry um one standout feature of matt hewlett was probably that he used to run like paula radcliffe um (laughs) (laughs) you'd never get that head bobble out of your head i'll never forget that him running desperately towards the town and bobbling his head um but i think he was a player that again, was a solid player in that time. You know, you think he was a centre midfielder when Mooney, Parkin, when that squad was yeah. going for promotion. And you kind of forget, oh yeah, Matt yeah. Hewlett was in that squad. And I, you have to say, at the end of the day, if in your centre midfield was Matt Hewlett when you made the playoff semi-finals, he must have done something right. And he's a player that played a lot for Swindon Town and obviously was around in the good days. And 
did a job and because because of his style of running always stood out in my head so that's why i put him in just out of just to give ourselves a bit of a laugh and also to be like no actually he did he must have done something right at that time and i think in the squad when it had i go howard you know park and mooney players are going to stick out even if they're not as technically good and that was probably hewlett but hewlett clearly did a job you know i don't think he would have survived in that squad of that talent otherwise mm. yeah agreed uh your second midfielder sammy Igo. Oh, I used to love Sammy Igo, so small, but yet so quick and yet so effective. And it used to be like, when I remember when he turned up and watched him play and being like, I, I don't get how that guy is a footballer, but yet was unbelievable. I remember him getting the ball and just how he, I used to love it because watching Swindon back then, I used to love it when we used to have two wingers get down the line, cross it in. That's what I used to love doing when I played football myself was get down the byline, cross it in. And when you watch, when we had like, you know, Igo and Howard or whatever on the wings, you know, Sammy Igo was a player that would get the ball, take on the defender, make it simple, cross it in. And, you know, that was his job and he did it so well. Um, and I think he's a player that's clearly obviously been forgotten over the years. But in that era, I've loved, I, I couldn't tell you how many assists he made or how many chances he may have created and all that jazz. I haven't gone that much in depth, but he clearly was a player that made a big impact um, and he was a reliable source during that season, most definitely. He used to run like Pathé news footage from the FA Cup final in the 1950s, <laughs> didn't he? It was just, he would, he would, he would, he looked like, like in year seven when your parents buy your PE kit and they go a couple of, you know, sizes up um, because they don't want you to sort of uh, get too big for it too soon and he used to just have these baggy clothes and just run at a rate which just seemed a little unnatural but that free kick against Bradford Parkin just sent off 87th minute mm. and he absolutely hit that lovely most definitely yeah and I think the I think the big kit probably helped with the aerodynamic nature of his running probably the wind <laughs> just took him just and that was kind of the parachute. secret <laughs> yeah, that was the secret plan all along. <laughs> Let's go with centre forwards then. So um, the first one, Steve Finney. Yeah, so Steve Finney was the striker in the first season that I went. I mean, are people going to go, really, Steve Finney? I mean, I could have um, picked some others, um, but Steve Finney was just the man at the time. And I remember him and his partnership with Wayne Allison was brilliant when I was a kid. I just remember that. And he had to go in just for that that reason really because he was the man at the time when I was a kid and him and Alison had such a good partnership and Alison got the more goals probably in the more glory but I think Finney was definitely the uh, a good you know second striker and did his job really well and at the time I had nothing but you know I like Steve Finney and also great great name for a striker and Steve Finney you say it, it still make me chuckle a little bit but it's, it's a great name it's a funny one because you missed going to games you were following it I'm sure but he, he his star had already burnt out before you you rocked up for, mm. for the Stockbook game because between August and December in his first season, he scored fifteen times. He only scored twenty two in three years for Swindon, but he scored fifteen of them between August and December. I'm pretty sure or right. something like that. that. That sounds like mm. a lot now. I said that, and that's in all in com- in all comps. But him and Allison between August and December '95 were unstoppable, and it was amazing. Yeah. We almost beat Blackburn, who were the champions at that stage in the League Cup, mm-hmm. um, when they scored. Oh, that was amazing. I was in the Stratton Bank for that. It was brilliant. But Steve Finney, injuries, and then you know, maybe not looking after himself in a in a sportsman way um, didn't help. And I don't think he was championship level. Um, but that, that League One season was 
amazing. It was brilliant. Um, your final I... substitute. Your final substitute now is Rory Fallon. Yeah, I mean, at the time, he would have been the underrated man purely because he was behind Parkin and Mooney. Mm. Um, and he was, no, and that showed you how good our straight partnership was when we had Parkin, Mooney and Fallon. You know, you think back on that now, and it's an unreal set of strikers to have at your disposal. Um, and Rory has to go in purely for that overhead kick. I mean, that's just... I, I've never seen a greater goal at the county ground. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the way he jumped in the air chest of the ball time stood still for about three years and then he overhead kicked it and I remember when it went it touched the net and went in everyone around me was celebrating and I think I did I was right behind it in the town and I would have been dead in line with where the ball went in up 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 above behind the uh, exit in the middle of the town and I used to have a season ticket behind there and I remember everyone celebrating and being like why are they all celebrating this must have gone over you know I thought it just gone over and like hit the board and was settled in and I looked down and I was like oh that's well, that's gone in <laughs> and being like, and everyone going mental around me being like oh it has gone in you know I just assumed it must have gone over I think my mates looked at me and went why are you not celebrating I was like well why are you celebrating you know I, I was like he's no way he scored that goal and he had <laughs> um, it's, it's, it was uh, unbelievable it, it's one of the best goals individual goals to be scored at the county ground I don't care what anyone's got to say that technique to chest and then Mm. get the overhead on the volley and in the circumstance of the game that's a promotion chasing match it's an equaliser it's against City it's against them as well and it's made even funnier that they missed with the last kick of the game an absolute sitter but oh I'll never forget that as well that was brilliant wasn't it it was was Lee Miller was it yeah it was um, it was Miller and and just I hate going all sort of angsty lower league fan, but if that scored, <laughs> if that's on match of the day on soccer Saturday or, or Sky or Super Sunday or whatever, that that goal is going to be in every montage for the rest of time. It was deliberate. He knew what he was doing. It's a great goal. If only Twitter was around oh, um, in that day. Imagine the views. Oh, Unreal. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> talked about your subs we've given the honorable mention to king kevin horlock who can be on the coaching staff i'm sure your goalkeeper made 38 appearances for swindon between 1995 and 2001 he's now our goalkeeper coach at steve mildenhall yeah any man that physically puts his body on the line for swindon town is getting in a swindon town of heaven are they not mm, absolutely i mean when when a man has a chant of remember you're a womble i mean that's I mean, you're getting in that eleven. I mean, but to be honest, no. To be to be fair, to Steve Milnhall, he was a great goalkeeper. Who, like you said, the years he was at Swindon and only played 35 times is unbelievable. You know, when I think back on it, and he was a good goalkeeper, big presence, good shot stopper. You know, he was a victim of you know, who would have been around in that time as well. Talia would have been around in that time Dig as B, well. Talia, Dig B, yeah. and um, Greenick as well. And he was probably just 
unfortunate. You know, you look back and you think, how did Steve Millenhall not just be number one? Um, but then I also remember a story with him was that I won a goalkeeper shirt in some competition and got presented to me by Ian Wone at half time. And it was a goalkeeper top that had Millenhall one on the back. And I thought, well, that's great. And I don't play in goal or anything, but I'll take the shirt and got Millenhall one. So I thought I'll wear it proudly. That was brilliant. Again, 390 on the CFAX and he's gone to Notts County. I'm like, oh, didn't even want the goalie shirt and now he's gone and left. So now this is completely redundant. Um, but I remember when he left, everyone being like, oh, you know, that's not a good move. That's not good for us that Millenhall's left. You know, that's a shame. And we were battling, I think, to keep him. And he went to Notts County and yet we had him in all those years and he played 30 odd times. I'm you know, so that sure. clear. I'm fairly sure so, he'd signed a new deal as well. Mm, so, I mean, it's clearly, he clearly was valued. It just, always never quite happened for Steve Millenhall. Um But I think he's a player that I think, looking back, you go, that guy should have played a lot more, but just didn't. And that's just how it was at the time. Um, that's just what it was. For those who don't know, Portsmouth away, Friday night. <laughs> I think it's his, his full debut, his league debut. I, I think it's, it's it is, there. yeah. Um, he goes in. It's a it's a it's a sort of fifty fifty, um, and uh, the boot makes a connection that creates the need for stitches um, in a yeah. delicate area for any man. So for anyone who puts themselves on the line, is fine by me. And he always took it in good spirits. I think everything about. I remember him playing for many away teams, or when we went to games and people Notts County, you know fans would see he turn around and put his thumbs up. And I think he always had that rapport with Swindon fans, even when he was at Rovers and stuff like that. You know, he always, it was Steve Millenhall. He's a good lad and he's one of, he's really one of ours in a weird way always. And now he's back at the club as well. And it's kind of that Steve Millenhall feels like he's one of our people. If that makes sense. Yeah, in a, was in a absolutely way. over the moon when he came back. Absolutely over mm. the moon because he is a proud Wiltshireman. He's a proud Swindonian. Um, mm. And what more can you ask for? And uh, when you see the footage that the club now are putting forward, you can see he's got a presence. He's got he's he's got plenty of input for Wellens. He's he's got a say in the in in the recruitment of goalkeepers. So he must be absolutely loving it at the moment there. Oh, definitely. And like you say, any person then. Who loves the club that much is gonna it's gonna shine across into the fans and the fans are gonna take to them. So it's as simple as that. You're right back. He made three hundred and sixteen appearances in all competitions, scoring four goals uh, between nineteen ninety four and two thousand and two. It's Mark Robinson. Yeah, but that description doesn't sound very underrated, does he? Three hundred appearances, but <laughs> you like you said before, people are gonna pick um it's hard because people are always going to pick, you know, your obvious other players. But Mark Robinson, I know for a fact he was my brother's favourite player growing up. And uh, then he moved to Chip. I remember him moving to Chipman Town and watching him at Chippenham as well the odd time. But Mark Robinson, when he played for Swindon, was a great fullback. And he signed him from Newcastle. Again, that was before my time when we signed him. But he was just, you know, he was the right back when I was growing up. And he was always a solid player. Never put a foot wrong. I can't remember him ever doing anything wrong. And he's just a player that obviously 300 games of Swindon Town, you know, that puts him in the hero status up the top <laughs> there. You know, that's a, and, you know, when we paid, what, 600 grand, I think it may have been for him. I can't, I, you know, I'm making these figures up probably off the top of my head. But, you know, when you played that many times, that many years of Swindon, and I feel like maybe he's not forgotten. He's just kind of, there's players that have played who are technically better. Um, so therefore he just doesn't make it. But he's a player that obviously deserves a bit of credit for, 
how many years he played for Swindon, how well he played. I don't think anyone would have a bad word to say about Mark Robinson, and therefore he's in the team. Now, I agree with you, and he was an ever-present in that 95-96 squad, so as a child, I'm terrifically fond. But I don't know if it's that fee, but there is definitely... There are definitely Swindon fans out there that would have him as right back in our all-time worst eleven, um, and 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 that is that is true. But you know, he history has been quite harsh to Mark Robertson. I'm completely on board mm. with with the case that you've made, but but I don't know what he did, and maybe nearer to the end of his time at Swindon, you know, injuries and and loss of form things like that and it was a tough time um, for any Swindon squad member back then because we were, weren't very good and we were broke mm. but I don't know what it is someone will probably tell me when when they uh, when they listen to this but Mark Robinson's legacy isn't that strong but I, I thought he was brilliant especially in that 95-96 season. I That could be the thing that because of the age in which I was maybe I just didn't know the whole situation of what was going on but to me at that time at that age and how I look back on it through yeah. my own eyes he was a solid good player and like you say that era of playing for Swindon you know what 98 99 through to the early 2000s I don't think anyone really came out of that looking like a shining light um if you did you had to do something very very good I mean it was just a tough time and therefore players like that will just get forgotten because people just kind of want to forget about those (laughs) years probably but there were players there that were good it's just they were there at the not a good time for the club really my main memory of Mark Robinson was as a kid, probably shortly after he signed in 94. And there in Westbury, there's a nightclub. It used to be called Reflections. I think it's called Club Ice now. I don't know if it exists still, but it was definitely called Reflections back in the day. And there was a nappy night. I don't know what they call them um, in, in Cone, but just a, like a night where it's for under 16s. And I remember because he it's was... called Friday Night Encounter. Is... <laughs> there we go. There um, we go. That's very a well typical done. joke. Very um, good. Yeah. Well, it was nappy night in uh, in in Westbury for that one-off, and Mark Robinson was the guest of honour, and um, and I went exclusively because Mark Robinson was there, and I didn't have anything for an autograph, so he signed my hand. That's my Mark Robinson story. So that's why you've got random writing on your hands still. Tattooed. I, I, yeah. Like Bart Simpson in that episode, you know, I no longer yes. control my hand. The hand controls <laughs> me. And uh, and that's that's because Mark Robinson's signature is still there. <laughs> Brilliant. N- next up is your left back. Uh 130 appearances in all competitions between 1997 and 2002. The last of the tough-tackling old-school defenders who wasn't really old enough to be old-school, but he was. It's Sol Davis. Yeah, Sol Davis. Um, The reason I've got him in is just because I remember a game he played against Luton, I think it may have been. I think he literally back-body-dropped a player. And I think I just remember being like... I don't think anyone else is ever going to try that. I think the defender, I think I remember the full, the wing winger probably running at him and him just ducking and just lifting him over his head. And I think he may have got a yellow card. He definitely didn't get sent off. I'm just being like, yeah. fair play. You know, you, you know, he wasn't the biggest lad, but he sure was scary enough. Um, and he wasn't afraid to bring WWE into the action. Um, so for those reasons, he's in. But I mean, I remember as a, you know, him as a player, he was, you know, like you say, he was tough tackling. I think he was someone that, I know he got sent off and he was doing stupid things, but I think 
he was always entertaining to watch. You can't say that. Um, mm. You can't deny that one. And like I said, with Andy Nicholas, Andy Nicholas obviously a technically probably better player. But for the era, era in which he played in, of when I used to go as a kid and you watching Sol Davis, he used to make me laugh. And uh, definitely a player that I have, you know, I look back on and just think, <laughs> good old Sol. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much the real reason. I could give some in-depth analysis into that one, but it's pretty much because Sol Davis wants back body drop someone. Say no more than that. I think mm. for me, I spent a lot of my time sort of listening to my dad's stories of Swindon players of old, and I used to go with a friend to watch Southampton a lot um, because he was a, a season ticket holder, and every now and again he'd have a spare ticket, and I would go and watch um, Matt Letizier and co. And his dad used to tell stories of Southampton in like the 60s and 70s, and they always used to have this glint in their eye when they used to talk about like the hard men of football. And Sol Davis, for me, was our equivalent of that back then. But he was just so young. He shouldn't have been that guy. He should have had, like, you know, he should have been 35. He should have been Darren Bullock, essentially. But he was Sol Davis, this little baby face guy who was just, oh, he was wonderfully vicious. Yeah, that's that's a fair summary. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've appointed your first centre-back as the captain, so you, it's up to you whether you agree or disagree with that, but I've made him captain. That's my That's call. I think Kevin yeah. Hallock would agree. Um, he made 237 appearances, scoring 13 times between 1998 and 2005. That doesn't include own goals. It's Alan Reeves. I was, gonna say, I was really hoping you were going to go Reeves. Uh, you did a little bit there. That was good. Um <laughs> Yeah, we, if if I could have done a team of Alan Reeves, then that would have been a good one. You know, just do 11 Alan Reeves. Number one was Alan Reeves and number two was Alan Reeves. Um, that was a good chant in the town in back in the day. Um, but Alan Reeves is just a player who epitomises kind of that era of Swindon Town. Reliable, made made mistakes. Um, I think we can all think of that Peterborough game, um, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, yeah, not one to remember him fondly by. But just he was just a cult hero, weird cult hero at the time. Um, he could do no wrong, even if he did everything wrong. And that was, it was just Alan Reeves, just who he was. And I remember when he became, did he become a coach yeah. or something at some point, didn't he? And I remember we were linked with David Reeves, his brother. Um, David, his yeah. brother's name? And he was a striker at Chesterfield at the time. We were linked with him and we were playing away at Stockport. And he uh, he was doing the warm-up. Um, Alan Reeves was running the was you know organising the run up the warm up and he was running towards us and some guy shouted, "Where's your brother Reeves?" He and all he did was he just did a uh, motion of him drinking pints at the pub, <laughs> and I just I just remember seeing that and being like, well, "He's a good guy and he's funny," I, you know, and just Alan Reeves is the cult hero. I mean, I don't think anyone could go into a ten minute monologue of why they love Alan Reeves, but I think it's just he was just Alan Reeves. And everyone was like, you just you just gravitated to him. <laughs> he just became a part of the furniture, really, because it took a while for the, for us to really warm to him. And then we did. And then it was like, by the end of his Swindon career playing anyway, when his name was called out, the Reeves turned into Reeves. It was just like, it was almost like, like we were so used to it. You hear his name, you did the chant without even like really thinking about it. It was like you could be reading the programme. And yeah. you're not really paying attention to the lineup, but you hear Alan Reeves and you just mumble to yourself, Reeves. It was re number it was, 22, it, Alan Reeves. Reeves. <laughs> See, it still happens today. Um, really, really 
loyal servant to the club again during those difficult times. And I think he thought, and I think we all thought, he was going to be King's replacement when Iffy got the job. Mm. Yeah. I think so. I yeah. think that was what everyone thought. And then singing I, I, Iffy came along, who's, yeah, another great song. Yeah. Yes. Isn't it just okay? Good song, good songs good back song. in the day. We need you more songs like that now. Good chance no. anymore, do you? Like, you don't get people really putting in a good no. effort or like really taking the time to think up these chants anymore. I know it's just Reeves, but it caught on all. You know, we all dream of Team Van Reeves. Um, and I know they're all rehashed versions of other players, but it's still it's still nice. Like Finny Wonderland, that was brilliant. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was a Finny Wonderland, but. Um, and he was Reeves, but maybe, you know. Uh, it was a Finny Wonderland. <laughs> it was a Finny Wonderland. And it, no one's telling me different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that will remain the case until someone tells me otherwise. And they've got to have mm. a good reason. Your next centre-back made 231 appearances, scoring five goals between 2003 and 2009, something like three loan spells before it made, he made it permanent. Um, it's Gerald Eiffel. Beast. And again, that's the Alan Reeves syndrome kicking in there. Um, Gerald Eiffel, I, when I looked that up and saw that he played 230 games for Swindon Town, I did not even know that was the case. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? Um, but... One th- Gerald Eiffel was literally a beast, you know, um, and he was so athletic and he was a great centre-back. I remember when he came on loan first from Watford and everyone thought, oh my word, who's this guy? You know, we need to sign this player. And he was brilliant. And just his marauding runs that always ended in him slipping over when he shot, brilliant. You know, it was, you know, he was exciting to watch. He was a literal beast. Um and I remember, was there the chant of, uh, what's that coming over the hill? Is it a monster? It's Gerald Eiffel. You know, again, a great song. Um, you can't, you know, again, you know, a player that just warmed to the fans. And I think um, people are going to listen to this going, he's just picked songs. He's just picked <laughs> players that have good songs. Um, but no, Gerald Eiffel just was a player that, again, just lit up a team or had a moment or had a glimpse of brilliance and, just entertained us I think to be honest in that time and then Kevin Amankwa turned up and stole the song from him yeah pretty much um, poor Gerald that must have been hard for him I don't, yeah imagine what footballers think when when like when <laughs> that's my like, song yeah some, <laughs> you know Tommy Mooney comes back and what's that about a piece of string I don't understand what, what why am I on a piece of string I don't <laughs> Uh, why is my mum telling me to do this uh, <laughs> this song makes no literal sense it makes no sense you know yeah. they could probably sing more vicious songs but they're going to talk about a piece of string I don't know um, but weirdly we're singing it I don't understand um, I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic and when he scored against Walsall in 2007 and mm-hmm. the, the glory was taken away by Dean Keats's equaliser but it was that that header was oh, it was, I was right in line, but I wasn't quite in line with it. But it was absolute thumping bullet. Oh, I mean, that summed yes, up Gerald. That, that summed up Gerald Eiffel, really. Yeah, you know, everything had to be done at a hundred miles per hour, um, 
there wasn't you know a dinky pass if he was going to pass it he was going to absolutely smash it into someone's feet <laughs> um you know nothing was done easily and he's still is he still playing now is this correct yeah, he's, he's, I saw? He's, he retired one of the best things yeah. about Gerald Iform why he deserves a place in any town 11 is, is, is he stayed local which is always great when when footballers yeah. stay in the region um after they finish Swindon so he he went and played I think for Staines Town um did it retired and now he's back with Swindon Supermarine. I think he, we'll see because they're Swindon are due to play Supermarine. So we'll see if yeah. uh, if the Beast takes on the new the new era Swindon team. I will. You know, we're not going to score in that game anyway if he's playing. So that's that. As a matter of fact. Yeah. We'll go into midfield now. Um, we'll start on the right. Uh, of midfield he made 144 appearances and scored 27 times between 2000 and 2003 one of the players that did come out of that era with with plenty of glory it's Danny Invincible I'm going Invincible now because I used to get mocked relentlessly for saying Invincible um, <laughs> so I've given up now I'm not going to be all pretentious and hipster and go with what I think it's supposed to be it's Danny Invincible. Yeah, I, I, I'd stick with Invincible. I remember, well, again, had a great song. But he um, he was just a man at the time that caught people's attention. You know, Australian player came in attacking, had those, had that, you know, black hair. And people just kind of warmed to him straight away. And he was an exciting player. I remember having my Xara shirt with Invincible 17 on the back. Um, and that goal he scored against Peterborough, I think that goal was so forgotten it was such a good goal no ian won chipping it in over his shoulder and him hitting it in the volley in the top corner you know it's a goal and he scored that in practically the last minute of the game a goal like that you know that is unbelievable and he was a player that you know he was attacking he was exciting to watch um he was a good player at the time um he excited people in an era you know when there wasn't much to shout about um but he wouldn't you know shy away he would get the ball and take people on and i think that's just what has to put him in and had he's someone that stands out to others that i could have probably picked you're right he is a handsome man and i think the peterborough game where we ultimately stayed up it's not remembered the way it should be is because Bristol Rovers didn't get relegated that night. They had three games yeah. in hand, all at home, and they lost all of them. Incredible. Yes. Absolutely I mem- nuts. I remember following it on Sky Sports News when they were playing Wickham, and I think they may have been 2-0 up or 1-0 up, and ended up losing 3-2. And I remember being in a front room going mental, thinking, how have we done this? <laughs> I mean, well, we, didn't, we didn't do anything. But, I mean, you know, how did that happen is unbelievable. And then that puts that goal, obviously how important that goal was we'll move to the left of midfield now lovely stuff he made 165 appearances scoring 11 goals between 1993 and 1999 i think he left on new year's day in 2000 hell of a journey with swindon it's ty gooden another player that i found out that is left on cfax um that was yeah ty gooden was a player that again i played left midfield number 11 Ty Gooden was exciting, went forward, um, was a great player at the time. And I remember that season, 97, 98, like he was, you know, he was again kind of one of the main reasons why we got into that position that we did. Um, some of the goals he scored, I remember the game against, I don't know if it was 
Bury or Port Vale, someone like that at the county ground, and he scored an was it right? He scored an absolute um, cracking goal and then took out the corner flag in his uh, celebration. He, he scored for Rotherham, but that was before you were going. I don't know if you were you were following the whole season, but he definitely scored a great goal against them. Uh, and it's like I just remember that goal and that celebration in the rain. And Ty Gooden was just a player that excited me to watch. He, he was a good player, and I think when you look back on it in that era, he was a player that you know he gave, like you said, so many years to Swindon Town as well, and was. A solid enough player, and um, yeah, it was, it was just enjoyable to watch. I mean, that was the thing with me when I was a kid. I just I loved watching attacking players. That was my thing, and that's why you'll find out when we do the rest of this team how this team is not balanced whatsoever. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just how it is. Um, so yeah, uh, Tiger and definitely just just stood out to me as a kid in that era. He was very frustrating at times, was Ty Gooden, because you knew what he was capable of. And when it didn't work for him, it really didn't work for him. But that's why he's underrated, because when he did, when everything worked, he was as good a player. And But him and Ifeonora leaving to Ginningham, yeah. and that was when... Those those were the days when I remember rushing home from school to see if Swindon still existed. You know, not directly that time, but those were the months and years. Um, really serious situation the club were in. And when players like Ty Gooden, who arrived during our first and only season in the Premiership, and then as it was then, and 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 then it was over because we needed like five-figure fee or whatever stupid amount of money we got for him it wasn't a lot um really 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 sad way to to lose a a a decent player yeah pretty much i mean that was swindon at that time as if we had a decent player in that era you knew they'd be gone soon and that was the uh the sad part was every day you went on CFAX, you were worrying if someone had been sold. <laughs> um, that's just how it was. We'll move into the, uh, the well, kind of the centre of your midfield. It's it's two um, that I sort of was playing around with the formation earlier, but forget about that because our next player played 136 times for Swindon, scoring nine goals between 2002 and 2006. He's another very handsome man who was better than Zidane. It's Stefani Miglaranzi. I'm glad you said he's better than Zidane. That was good. Um, yeah, I mean, again, a player that clearly was such a good player at the time that he wouldn't make people's best ever 11. But in that era, Stefani Miglaranzi. One, he had the name that you wanted on the back of your shirt because it was just a cool name. Cool. Um, and, you know, he was such a good player. I mean, he would, he'd run games from midfield sometimes. And I think that Swindon in that era, again, I, I just can't help but pick players that are exciting, you know, players that would get on the ball and do something. And as you'll find in the centre midfield, sadly, we're losing probably every game about 5-0 because poor Steve Mildenhall's got no chance in goal. But... Um, Mignoranzi again was just an exciting player who was enjoyable to watch and that's the thing in that I know a lot of these players I'm picking it's because they're exciting to watch and in that era it was not much to watch on but I think as a kid you pick out these people that you just idolise as a kid because you just thought well he's he's technically a good footballer and he plays for Swindon Town and he plays for our club and you know, if I wanted to balance up this midfield, you know, I could put Darren Bullock in to make sure no one ever left the pitch alive. Um, but, you know, I'd rather be watching the um, players that are exciting. And Miglaranzi, again, was just a fan's favourite cult hero at that time. He wouldn't make anyone's all-time 
11 because you know the amount of centre midfielders that Swindon had in their years you know is unreal but he's a player who in that Pacific era was the man and stood out basically for somebody who was so injury prone he played a lot of football for Swindon and mm. you have to say had he stayed fit during his Portsmouth days he wouldn't have been anywhere near the third tier no I mean that was clear he stood out amongst everyone else and it's again like you say it's that player that we got him because he was injury prone um, and he was playing below his level but that meant you know we could benefit from him when he was fit and that was just that's just what it was um, and again another player of the great son and turned down Oxford after he left Swindon yeah so yeah cult hero happy days your next one um, will go as an attacking midfielder because <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure we're playing him out of position, although he definitely did um, play as an attacking mid a few times. He made 74 appearances, and I was surprised to find out he only scored 16 goals in all competitions mm. between 97 and 99, although he wasn't here for a long time. 74, I, I, in my head, I, he scored way more than that. It's U.R. George Nadar. I I just remember him, his debut against Middlesbrough, and I bought a late ticket to go because some football had been called off, and he was doing his debut against Middlesbrough, and he scored um, early on in the game. I'm pretty sure it was George and Dyer that scored early on in the game, and he beat a load of players and put it in. And I think, I, I know I'm going to say this phrase, and everyone's going to go, well, that's not true. But to me, like from watching him technically, I thought he was one of the best mm. I've seen and was so injury prone it used to blow my absolute mind um, of how frustrating he was that he would get injured and you just you know once if he was fit he was no one could stop him yeah. you know he he was powerful he would run at players he'd take them on and you know it's no surprise he still you know, when you think of how injury prone he was and yet got sold on for money that he did um, shows you just how good he was but it's just the fact that injuries held him back but I'll never forget yeah just George and Dar just the kind of power he had the attacking prowess he had and again as I said before this team is severely unbalanced with him in centre midfield um, but I could I had to fit him in somewhere just so I could talk about him um, and basically yeah and that, and that was just it I just remember his debut and him standing out in that game against Middlesbrough which I think we ultimately lost to 2-1 maybe something like that but um, yeah, he's just a player again that excited you, good to watch, um, and you couldn't really say a bad word about other than the fact he just kept getting injured, and it was just so frustrating. Let's see who beat him to a centre forward position then. So your first centre forward is definitely a player that I think has been forgotten in time. He made. 101 appearances for Swindon, scoring 30 times between 1997 and 2000. That first season, as we've mentioned before, was amazing. It's Chrissy Hay. Yeah, Chris Hay. I mean, that man literally came to Swindon and just blew everything out of the water in that opening half of the season. He was so good. I know. And then we obviously, at the end, he left for Huddersfield. Um, but he was a player that, I just remember, again, in that era was the man. I know you could could have picked so many other strikers when I was looking through him. I was like, there's loads of strikers here. But I was like, actually, for that one half of the season where his goals practically put us top of what is now the Championship Division 1, 
you know, to think of Swindon in that position now, you, you couldn't dream of thinking of that at the moment, this moment in time. And he was the man at that time that put us there um, with his goals, you know, hat-tricks, doubles, scoring unbelievable amount of goals. Um, obviously, in the second half of that season, it all went to pot and we all know that. And that's just how that was. But for those few months, um, unbelievable player. And he went on to Huddersfield and, again, it's a Swindon Town thing. Players move on. Uh, we, you know, money at the time. Someone offers money, a player's going, and that's just what it was. But Chris Hay was a player, like you say, I think has been completely forgotten about from his time in Swindon. I'm pretty sure I had a Hay Nine shirt, that fabric shirt that was absolutely horrible to wear. You um, would have done it independently because there were no squad numbers at that stage, so it would have been one of those sort of go to the local shop and do it unofficially, which I definitely did at some point. Yeah. I think I did. I must have definitely done that then, um, which wouldn't surprise me. Let's go with your final player then. So this is probably one of the most, what are you doing in the underrateds? But this guy, for, if we were there, for the, those who are there, he's definitely not underrated. So he made 120 appearances, scoring 36 goals. Again, I thought a little bit more, but this is between 95 and 97. Um, known for that partnership with Steve Finney in 95, it's Wayne Allison. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of who do I put in here. I was like, if Nora probably could have uh, deserved a big mention. He was a great striker at that time as well. But Wayne Allison, I think, is someone that was that good that he's not going to make anyone's best eleven because you've now got Cox, Austin, Parkin, Fjortoff, just to name a few. But, you know, the list could keep going. Um, and Wayne Allison wouldn't probably strike people's minds to get into those squads. So I was like, well... I'm going to put Wayne Allison in here just to give him a tip to that, tip to the hat. But I mean, it's just one of those things where, again, he was great in that first season that I went and watched in 95, 96. He was the main signed from Bristol City and was a powerful striker. Loved getting on the end of a cross, which I talked about earlier. Like I used to love enjoying watching Swindon just put balls in the box and big striker heading it in. That was what Wayne Allison did. Um, and he was kind of a, a man at the time that was the another cult hero in his era, but then gets a bit forgotten about. I mean, because of how many good strikers we've had since and before him in probably what you would say were better eras or whatever, however you want to say it. So Wayne Allison, yeah, finishes off my front two with Chris Hay. I'm not sure how those two would work together, but we'll, you know, we'll, find, we'll, we'll never find out, but I would like to think it would go okay. I just seem to have memories of like either Mark Robinson or Wayne O'Sullivan crossing in and Allison mm. heading the ball down. It bouncing before, long time before it goes over the line, but it's because it's on the far post. It always went in, but he always used to just head the ball directly down and the momentum still went in. He never sort of headed bullet into the back of the net. He always mm. used to just do the, well, if you hit it, if you head it low, the goalie's not making it. And it, it worked every time. I just seem to just perennially remember loads of goals like that. Um, yeah, I completely agree with, with your points there. I think it's one of those things where he was big at the time, but with with new forwards, and we've had plenty of those since, since he left, um, he kind of gets forgotten about. But I'm almost certain that when he signed for Swindon, it wasn't just in the sports section of the local news on TV. It was one of the main stories. I I mean, him signing from Bristol City, I remember, you know, I have to go back to the older season review, VHS of 95, 96, and, you know, Wayne, you know, they say about Wayne Allison signed on money from Bristol City, you know, and they, you know, he was obviously at the time a big sign. Now, I don't remember that because I kind of started following towards 
the start of that season. Wayne Arson was just a player that was there. But yeah, I mean, clearly he was a player that stoked up attention when he came. And when he when he moved on, you know, that was, again, just a player that is always going to move on at some point. But he was obviously a man that in that first season was a big part of that season with him and Finney. You know, as you said before, like the partnership was... Um, you know, was perfect. You couldn't have put them two together any better. And the goals, you know, the games, you know, Blackburn and the Carling Cup that he scored in the Carling Cup. It definitely wasn't called that then. Coca-Cola, um, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. And I'm a big Coca-Cola drinker. I should know that. And um, other drinks Coke- are available. Actually, this isn't the BBC. We're all right. <laughs> <laughs> Coke Zero. Um, and basically, yeah. So he was just a man that stood out at the time. And as a kid, he was the striker. I just never remember that. And also, you know, he provides my first ever real memory of just smacking a header against a crossbar in true Wayne Fat Allison style. I think he was supposed to be the uh, the strike partner with Peter Fawn. And mm. Finney was supposed to be the sort of Premier League reject who'd never played, who came in from, I think he played um, for Preston before joining Manchester City. Um, and he was supposed to be the bench forward but because of Fawn's fitness issues it just it just it just rolled and those two were perfect for each other especially early on and the fact that he didn't sign for us to go up a level he signed no. the Bristol City win the same division and that was ridiculous and then he scored against them at the county ground early on and oh yes and he celebrated <laughs> as well and he celebrated which is the way it should be yeah correct thing to do chief yeah Ah, lovely stuff. What an eleven that is. So what what formation are we playing here? Um, I think it's probably um Steve Mildenhall at the in goal and then Alan Reeves kind of just praying on his knees and then the rest kind of bombing forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the Gerald Eiffel's probably up front with in between Hay and Allison and they're both looking at him going, Can you get back, please, Gerald? because um, no one else is back there. I think yeah, I don't I don't think it, we're I'm, I did go for a four four two. I'm not really sure how that works. Maybe you could do a four three three in the weirdest way. I don't. I don't. Basically, we're going to score. Every game's going to finish six five. You know, we're going to win six five. Would be the chant. I think at most of these games. Yeah, I've I've kind of got it as like a a four at the back. Migleranzi sort of holding midfield. Then you've got your left and your right. So that's four one. Two, one, two, <laughs> and then whoever's playing centre field for the other team is like, it's just where's, like where's the yeah. where's the other team and the other team are here? Yeah, so I've I've got a four one, I've got a four one two one two. Um, I we could I could have made it to fit to a formation, but to be honest, I just wanted to talk about those players. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's your prerogative. I think in in Championship Manager or Football Manager, we're, we're not winning, but um, Kevin Horlock says it's okay, and that's all that matters. So. Kevin Hallock's the assistant manager. Maybe he's pulling the strings, but who's our manager of this step side? So this is where, when I say this person's name, people may just be a bit like, oh, really? But I've gone for Andy King purely because I think he was clearly an amazing scout. I think everyone can understand that the team he put together was unbelievable. And I'd like to think that people would know that. He was iconic for having the cigar on the touchline. I think we all remember that. You know, when you'd look across and be like, is Kingy here? Oh, yeah, there's a puff of smoke. No one can see him under it. I think tactically, we all know he wasn't the best. I think we all know why Why is he doing that? What's he doing there? But for the success he brought for the team that he built at Swindon Town, I do think 
he's probably given a heart. I remember at the time he would get booed and he would get jeered. And I just always used to think, well, look at the players he's brought in. Look at the team he's actually built. And we're doing not too bad. I think people would have probably expected Swindon. I think the expectations of older fans was that we were a Division One at the time team because we'd been in the Premier League. We had risen from that, you know, Division Four. We'd done the rising and therefore that's where we should stay. But for myself, I was like, well, we're a Division Two team. We're doing well here. This is good. So I think maybe expectations just were different between different ages of fans. Maybe I don't know. There may be fans who are my age that think Andy King was terrible. But, you know, that's just what it is. But I think with the team he built, with the players that he brought in, with I know he was a cult hero status. I think that he is a man that people now look back on and go, he wasn't Kingy class. Yeah, <laughs> you know, his yeah. blunt his blunt honesty. Um he was very you know, at least he would tell you what it was, what the truth was. Um and yeah, sure, that being like that is gonna cause some people not to like you, some people to um like you. But I think for me, Andy King was a man that did a good job with what he was given. I don't think he really spent... I mean, I, I haven't researched this, so if I'm wrong, for all those Swindon Town fans that are thinking, no, that's not true, I'm sorry. But I don't think he spent loads of money. No, he didn't. Um, and so that's the thing. You know, Think of the squad that he built that got to that um, playoff semi-final. It's still... I think, you know, I know... I've heard you talking about the Brighton playoff semi-final many times in this podcast, and it's something that will always be ingrained with us at Swindon Town. But that team, how that team did not make the next division up is a story that none of us can understand. You know, how we did not get promoted that season is is a story that we'll just never, ever be able to get our heads around. And Andy King was a manager of that. And I just think that's just that's just what it is. His contacts in the game would have ensured that we would have had a few at least lone players that will now have been England internationals. Um, he He had that network because he was a great scout and he was as they say now they, they're called football men but because you know of their of their friend network of from their careers he wound people up I think at the time because of his interview technique um, which you know on the flip side some people find that refreshing um, a lot of people found it like the truth hurts and it hurt their feelings and it was just another yeah. excuse there is an element of Swindon fans that are always looking for an excuse not to watch Swindon it's weird I don't understand it but you know I'm not going back until Andy King goes Andy King yeah. goes if Fionora is appointed well he's not good enough I'm not coming back until then Dennis Wise is appointed I've heard of him he's a celebrity I'll go and watch him um, and then it all goes and it just it goes on and on and on and on and on like that um, I also it used to wind a lot of fans up that he used to pick players every week regardless and then drop some maybe flair players um mm. like people like brian howard when when the going got tough and you know i think i think those sort of decisions all my guests from that era say he wasn't a tactician um he he selected players using his gut he knew what he felt he knew what he was doing but ultimately he he guided us through some really really torrid times behind the scenes that's not a a, a glory time behind the scenes he is just absolutely nailed it that year and when he started losing when he lost Parkin when he lost Haywood and a couple of others he knew his time was up the year he got he moved on he knew his time was done but you know he felt that he loved the club by the end of it oh definitely and I think that's 
like you say, um, players moved on. He had to deal with what was given. You spoke about Brian Howard. Now, Brian Howard was one of my favourite players, one of my favourite Everton players I think I've watched in my time. Again, left midfield, you know, left winger and all that jazz. And he was attacking player, great player. And again, Kingy didn't wasn't really a fan. It seems he used to try and put him in centre midfield sometimes and things like that. But like you say, Andy King just, he was himself and he made a decision and he stuck to it. And I mean, the problem is then when it goes wrong, people aren't going to be nice to him when it goes wrong because it's like, well, you've been stubborn enough to stick to this. So if it goes wrong, it's your fault and we're going to blame you. And that's just, that's the downfall of what his character was. But when it went well, you couldn't deny, well, that man's got some guts and it worked. (laughs) And I mean, I said to close now, I said earlier about like when you go away, things stick in your mind more and it's Mm. harder when you're at home because you go to the same you know games every week it's the same size crowd everything sort of kind of blurs into one but I still look at the dugout now I still look towards the Swindon dugout and I still see that puff of smoke um, from his cigar and it I feel kind of emotional when when I see it because now obviously he's no longer with us and it was he was the last and the only manager from my time supporting Swindon from my first game with Ozzy Ardiles in charge all the way all the way to Richie Wellens he's it was just seeing that 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 smoke it just it just Again, it, that memory of that is so is so vivid, and yeah. well, you know, it's all nostalgia, isn't it? And eventually, you start getting all all emotional about it. And that's the thing. I think he was a, he's just a man that divided opinion, and some fell on one side, and some fell on the other, and that's just what it was at the time. Um, but yeah, he's my manager for this. Just when you think of other managers, I didn't really know who would be underrated as such. Um, but I think Kingy was a man that just divided attention, uh, divided the fan base. And I think that's why, for me personally, he'd be seen as underrated. But for some, he'd be seen as, no, he wasn't very good. Um, but that's, you know, that's people's opinions and that's fine. So there we go, Adam, over an hour and a half of pure Swindon nostalgic-based chat. How do you feel? Well, Living in Northern Ireland, I think, to get the chance to talk about Swindon Town. No one no, no one wants to talk about Swindon Town, um, unless I bring up Kevin Horlock and then people have a bit of a chuckle um, from him obviously playing for Northern Ireland in the past. But, I mean, it's been great um, reminiscing and looking back over old fixtures, old teams. Because um, nowadays, you know, I'm over in Northern Ireland, I don't get to many games. I follow this podcast, which helps keep in touch with everything, which has been brilliant. And, you know, following games and whatnot when I can on iFollow when they're during the week paying you £10 to watch us lose away to Stevenage and stuff like that but it's um, it's been good looking back and just reminiscing over good times of going to watch Swindon and the good times that it brought and the memories as a kid um, definitely wouldn't change any of it and change any of the uh, times that we had growing up watching Swindon even if you know you remember administrations going 20, 20 minutes away from going out of business to heartbreak at Wembley twice, uh, three times, if you want to include the Checker Trade Trophy. I don't need to, really. But, um, yeah, it's been great reminiscing and just thinking about different players other than the obvious. You know, we all talk about the obvious ones. Um, but, no, it's been good doing this and, uh, yeah, enjoying and remembering some great songs from the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute privilege talking to yourself. Adam, thank you very much. No, thank you very much.
Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.